Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are in Ecclesiastes 8, 1 through 15. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here once again. Lord, we ask that you would speak very clearly through your Holy Spirit to our lives. Lord, we desire to leave here different than we came in. So open our hearts, our minds, and our ears to what you have to tell us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name's Kevin. I'm the lead pastor of Church at the Well. I'm excited that you're here. Um, if you're new, welcome. Um, I just want to give one more quick announcement. So every year since we've been here, we've started, we started something that we call Joyful Surrender. Um, joyful Surrender, I guess the best way to say it is it's kind of our version of Lent. Um, we don't follow the same uh, calendar as Lent. Basically, I take Easter and count back 40 days and then ask you if you're interested to join me in what we call a Joyful Surrender. So that can be um, eliminating something for 40 days or adding something positive for 40 days um, and then you're covenanting with us to say we're going to do this in anticipation of the celebration of Easter and the whole point of this is to get you into a frame of mind where whatever it is that you're giving up or adding it's costing you something and it's forcing you to think about the resurrection and so I don't know what that will be for you typically for me it has something to do with food um, because I like to eat. And so when I'm not eating, it's reminding me, okay, we're getting ready to celebrate um, the resurrection of Jesus. So if you are interested in joining us, there's uh, some forms in the back kind of where we take offering. And so on this, this just kind of a fancy one and a non-fancy one, okay? It's the best I can say it. The fancy one is for you to keep. Um, this is for a reminder for you. You fill it out. You can stick it in your Bible, whatever. Um, and I'll just kind of remind you that um, what you're doing. And then the second one, the non-fancy one, we want you to fill out if you're interested in being held accountable, you want to receive re weekly encouragements and prayer, then you can fill this out, drop it in the offering box, and I'll add you to a list. Okay? Everybody got that? Great. So um, it starts Tuesday, February 28th, so you have a couple of weeks to process and think about what you want to do and if you would like to join us. All right. Um, we have been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and it has been brutally difficult. Um, every week, I feel like I just stand here and chastise myself, which is, I guess, what's supposed to happen. Um, this week is interesting. We get like kind of an instruction manual from Solomon in regards to things like um, individuals who are holding authority over us. I hate politics. Okay, I, I, I'm just... Now, here's the thing that I'm realizing about politics, though. So maybe it's just because I'm getting older. I have yet in my lifetime to find a politician who I agree with in everything. 
and I would imagine that you're in the same boat because my ideas are probably messed up and so there's no way that we'll ever have these things where it's like, man, this is the politician, right? When we look at biblical times, we know that they, they tended to live in kind of a different society when it came to how government was functioning. And they ended up with some of the same issues, whether it be a monarchy or whether it be you know, what democracy as the United States is, we always seem to have issues with politics. Um, as a church, there's constant concern about who's going to get elected and what's going to happen and churches divide. And I mean, these last few elections that we've had for president have been just awful to watch the church just shred itself. I get, uh, if I get on my soapbox here for a moment, I get irritated when I see a church of, the church that is supposed to be functioning for the glory of Jesus become more known for their political stance than they do for Christ. That's a problem for me. Um, And it should be a problem for any believer. And so we have this thing in politics where we we see things. We know that we live in a sin-cursed world, sin-cursed bodies. We know that evil is done. We know that that exists. We know that there's going to be policies and, and things that happen throughout um, from the authorities that we sit under that are going to be things that we disagree with that might even um, enhance opportunity for sin. We know that. I don't have to get into them all. And everybody in here is going to think a little bit differently on this. But the question is, how do we handle it? Like, what do we do? We've, we've seen throughout history of elections different churches take different stands. We've seen, like I said, churches who have said, we are going to fight this political battle, and they, be, like I said, they become more known for what they stand politically than Jesus. We've had others who have chosen to bury their head in the sand and do nothing. And then we have people kind of in between. We've seen radical Christianity, I guess if you want to call that, where they'll say, we're just going to fight fire with fire. When I was growing up, um, <laughs> what the news was, was there was this constant, um, there was, it's so sad, there was this constant stuff in the news about in the people blowing up abortion clinics in the name of Jesus. And you go, we, we don't, that's, that's not how we work. Um, the weapons that we're given in Christ are truth and love. And we have to constantly remember that. And one of the, the reasons that I think that, I, and I have found this fascinating, is you realize that this passage is being written by a king. One of the most powerful kings that has ever existed. Potentially the wealthiest has the most influence, and he's going to give us advice on how to handle corrupt politicians. That's funny, because it would be like the president of the United States for us standing up and going, let me tell you how to handle all of my big errors that are coming. Let me tell you how to handle the issues that you're going to disagree with. Let me tell you how this is supposed to roll. And when I look at this from that perspective, I'm thinking, wow, there's a, there's a humbleness that's coming out of Solomon in this moment and a true desire to see the people that he has been placed in authority over actually thrive. There's an ad- admission here where he says, yes, I am king, but that doesn't make me perfect. It doesn't mean that I know everything. It doesn't mean that every decision that I'm going to make is going to be right on. And when we look at authority figures in our life, that can go across the board, right? We can apply this to almost anything. So some of you may be sitting here and going, how in the world is Kevin leading this church, right? Like, here's the thing. I tell you all the time, at some point, I will make a decision that you won't like. At some point, I will disappoint you. At some point, I will say something that will get your blood to boil. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, or maybe... It's because you're a dirty, rotten sinner, but at some point, that will happen, okay? And so, I think when we're, I, I mean, the only other example I can think of is think about, like, the individuals that you work for, 
to hold authority over you. Sometimes you work for somebody and you're like, I love working for this person. But at some point, they still disappoint you. At some point, they make a decision that you don't like. And other times we work for people and you go, I don't, I don't want to work for this person anymore. Like this is, this is rough. It's hard. And the only thing that I want to remind us before we dive into this is in order for this to be effective, in order for us to really understand what's happening here, you, you have to relate to two things. You have to first relate to the individual who has authority over them. And then second, you're going to have to relate as a person who has authority over others. Because you do. If you're a parent, you have authority. <laughs> well, you better, right? Or you're going to be eaten alive. If, you're, if you have anybody that works underneath you, you have authority. As Christ followers, we are, we are told to lead by example, which means we have influence and we need to use it wisely. So, I want you, as we go through this, to kind of think in those two realms. So this is how I'm going to behave. This is what wisdom would say, how we behave under authority figures that maybe we like or we don't like, we disagree with, we might agree with. And then what if I'm an authority figure? What does that look like? And so we kind of dive in here, and he begins this way in chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. So he begins this process of saying, we're going to talk about authority figures. We're going to talk about people who have been placed over you, or maybe you're an authority figure, and you've been placed over some people. And in this scenario, the first thing that we're going to talk about is the need for wisdom. Every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., there's a prayer meeting that takes place inside this building right before the coffee house opens. And um, some people come, and we pray. And one of the things that we pray for every single Tuesday is for the leaders in our country, leaders around the world, church leader, anybody who has any authority. And, and we're constantly asking the Lord to give them wisdom so that the authority that they hold will be for the good of the people that they're over. The church, Christ followers, are commanded to pray for our leaders because we know that Scripture says they're instituted and, and given that power by the Lord. So we're commanded to do that. Wisdom makes everything different. When you're praying for an individual that you don't like and you're asking the Lord to give them wisdom, there's something that happens in your heart that changes. And this is, just, this is just classic, right? I mean, oftentimes somebody will come and say, man, I have an enemy, and I am struggling with this person, and the first thing we'll say is pray for them. Let the Lord and the Holy Spirit begin to see, help you see them in a different light. You may not have to like them, right? You don't have to be their best friend, but it changes us when we're praying. Solomon says wisdom is key. Um, in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, paraphrasing, it basically says, if we ask the Lord for wisdom, he is generous to give it to us. We, Solomon is saying, in this area, but I'm going to just take it through all of life, in this specific area, we have to constantly be praying for wisdom. We're praying for wisdom on how we respond to our authority figures, and we're praying for wisdom on how Others might respond to us in authority. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom's different than knowledge, okay? I know a lot of people who are very knowledgeable and not wise. It doesn't, wisdom isn't about how much knowledge you have. It helps, but it's not really, that's not really the issue. The issue with wisdom is how to apply the knowledge that you have. So you can know something really well, and you can say, I'm going to do it. I, I always use sports analogies, right? So a coach can show me, like, here's, here's what you do in this scenario. And I have the knowledge of it. We can go to the chalkboard. He can draw up the play, whatever it is. And I go, okay, that's it. But wisdom says, this is how you apply what you've been taught in a certain situation. And if I don't apply it correctly, it's a lack of wisdom. 
So scripture tells us you need to, to, to love your enemy or whatever it is that's hard for you in scripture. And you would say, okay, Lord, I understand that in knowledge. I understand that your word says this, but I need the wisdom to be able to apply this in an effective way. So wisdom and being smart are two separate things. <laughs> you don't have to be smart to be wise. The Lord will just, if we're asking the Lord for wisdom, he will say, in certain scenarios, I will give you the answer to how you're to respond, and it will be wise if you'll listen to me. So think of wisdom as the doing of the knowledge, the, the correct doing of the knowledge, the application of the knowledge that you've been given. And he's starting this way because he's going to be building off of everything that he's already talked about, and a, a big component of this is going to be God's sovereignty. And so he says, start, when we're talking about politics, we're talking about authority figures, whether it's you or someone else, you're disappointed, whatever it is, stop, pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom before you speak. Pray for wisdom before you pick it. <laughs> Pray for wisdom before you say something that you're going to regret. Pray for wisdom. Okay? So that's where he begins. And then having said that, he's going to say, I'm going to now kind of move you into a practical. <laughs> so I'm going to give you three things. Three things that are going to help you in applying wisdom to authority figures. Okay, so the first one is he's going to say, the one we don't like, be submissive. You're like, but I don't like the authority figure. He's going to say, be submissive. Starting in verse 2, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and whom, who may say to him, what are you doing? This is the reality. We sit, we sit under authorities that we may not like and we disagree with, but here's the reality of the situation. They're the authority. We, f we might want to fight that. You know, I, 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 I don't know how to express this differently than maybe this. Like, we'll have people in, in the church that will come and say, hey, I have an idea and I want to do this. And I might go, that sounds like a great idea. Are you going to take charge of that? Right? Or who's going to take charge of that? Because I can't. So it's a great idea, but... Like, who's going who's gonna to run with this? And, and, and oftentimes, what will happen is the idea won't come to fruition because they go, well, I don't want to be the one in charge of that. I want somebody else to be in charge of that. I want you to be in charge of that. And so the idea just kind of crumbles, right? I think oftentimes what I have found in my own heart is somebody, I'll say something like, oh, this authority figure is driving me crazy. And then somebody would say, well, then why don't you run for president? And I'm like, that's the last thing that I would ever want to do is to be a president, right? So in our hearts, we're just, basically what we want to do is just complain, right? We don't like what the authority's doing, but they're the ones that are in authority, but we also don't want the job. So there's this thing in our hearts where we have to go, I don't know necessarily how this person got into authority other than we know that Romans 13 tells us that nobody has authority without God giving it to them. I don't know how they got there. I don't know, you know what their path was. I don't really know them personally. I know a few politicians. I've met a few, right? but I don't really know their stories. I don't know what their heart is behind what they're doing. I don't I don't know, but I guess it's possible, but I, I don't know that somebody walks into an authoritative position and goes, I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to screw up every person that I possibly can. Right? So I have to assume that there's probably some selfishness there and maybe they want power, but that, they, that they're going to have some ideas that they believe are going to help. And at some point, we just have to get to a place to say, 
I have to submit, I have to obey the king because I'm not the one in authority. This is the hardest one, I think. Because this is so anti-American, right? It's like, we want to we wanna push back, right? I mean, our country was founded on pushing back. I saw Hamilton recently, right? And you're like, coming out like, America, right? <laughs> like, yes. You know, the, if you've seen it, you should. It's, it's awesome. But if you've seen it, you know, even the way that they portray the king, right, is comical. Um, so it doesn't seem natural for us to say, you're an authority. You're the one that the Lord's put there. There's a reason for that. And therefore, I'm going to be submissive to what that says. Um, obviously, there's limits to this. And scripture does talk about that. But I don't think that that's the end that we really need to focus on. Typically, we're all pretty rebellious, so I don't have to encourage you what to fight for, right? Maybe what we need to do better is say we're coming into submission under the authorities that have been placed over us. Um, Even within the church, this exists, right? We're an elder-led church, Elders, by Scripture, have been given authority to practice church discipline, to hold authority over what's going on. So then in that instance, I would say, you guys need to be praying for your authorities, (laughs) your elders, and we say we submit. And then I have people that I submit to, right? I've made that pretty clear. So, the first thing that he says is pray for wisdom so that we have the strength to submit. Submission is not this. I'll end this one with this. This is not submission. Okay, I'll do it, but I'm going to scream about it the whole time. That's not submission. Submission is, okay, this is what my authority says. This is what I will do. Now, I told you that Solomon wrote this. That one feels self, uh, maybe like self-indulgent, right? Hey, guys, God put me here, so just submit. We move on. The next one. He's going to say, you're not just going to submit. Well, actually, he kind of gives three reasons as to why. I guess we should go over that real quick. The first one I told you was, okay, you're going to submit because um, ultimately, God is in control. He's the one that's placed them there. The second reason you're going to submit, we find in verse 2. It says, whoever keeps the command will know, will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, though man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? Then we move on. Um... Man, it's so dark up here. Um, so the first one is we're looking at we need to be obedient. We need to follow. The second one is the Lord is saying if we follow, we will be blessed. There will be reward. Um, I recently had a conversation with somebody that says when I read Scripture, oftentimes I see that the Lord will almost entice us with certain things to do what he wants. Meaning he'll say, okay, if you believe in Jesus, yes, your life's going to change, but you get eternal life. That's almost an enticement, right? It's a benefit. There's a whole bunch of benefits to coming to faith in Jesus, right? We know that. But he'll say, I mean, I'll give you a really easy one. In Scripture, God actually says there's a place where we can actually test him. What's that? In the area of finance. Where he says, if you will be generous, if you will give, then you will receive blessing. And it's interesting, theoretically saying, you can't outgive me. Right? There's play, and, and when I was talking to this individual, they're like, man, it seems like that's weird. And I'm like, no, it's not weird because we are human beings and we function on the idea of reward. He knows us. He created us. I mean, there's 
there's things in us where we go, I mean, if, if your boss comes to you and says, if you do this, then this will happen, then you're going to go, I'm going to weigh this out. Is the work worth what the reward's going to be? Oftentimes, if you have kids, you might do some sort of incentive thing, right? If you behave this way, I mean, my dad, well, my reward was you won't get beat, right? So, Kevin, if you will keep your mouth shut, I will not beat the crap out of you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, what? What is it that, like, motivates you? What is it that, that when you look at the gospel, you look at the Lord, gets you to a place where you say, man, that's worth it. We know that we function this way. The world functions this way. So God provides us this opportunity to be motivated. What, if you will be obedient, if you will follow my direction, if you will be wise in how you handle authorities, then ultimately there will be blessing. You won't be caught up in evil. You won't be punished by the authority. Romans 13 basically tells us that authorities have been given the sword and they can do whatever they want with it. So the idea here is part of the blessing is if I'm obeying what I'm being asked to do by the authorities, then I'm not going to suffer the ramifications of the authorities. So think of that like parenting as well. Or my dad might say, hey, do this and there won't be the ramifications. And I'll go, that's worth it to me. Um, the opposite is true as well. We know that if we rebel against the authorities that God has placed, that there's consequences for it. What are those consequences? Well, I don't know. It depends on what you do, right? If you rebel against the law, then there's going to be consequences that could be fines or jail time. Jail's a deterrent for me. I know that for some people it's not, but it, would be for, it is for me. I don't want to go to jail, ever. Like, put me in a tiny box, that is the worst thing I can think of, right? For long periods of time, without any freedom, without any ability to do anything, that is horrible. Um, but the law exists, it, it says this is what's going to happen if you don't behave, this is what's going to happen. Nothing will happen as far as the consequences if you do behave. So oftentimes we're constantly weighing this reward versus punishment thing. And, and Solomon's saying that's wise. Um, so as a kid, my dad said this stuff to me and he was 100% correct. He would say, Kevin, sometimes your issue is that you're acting before you're processing what the end result's going to be. Has anybody done that before? So it can be out of emotion, or it can be out of fear, or whatever it is, there's this something in us. It's like, I have to say this, or I have to do this, or I just want it so badly, and we'll do it. And then we're shocked that there's consequences as a result. Um, social media is a perfect example. I can't believe what people put on social media. Like, people get fired now over the fact that their boss sees what they put on social media, and then they get shocked that they get fired. And it's like, what, what are you thinking? Right? If, if, you, if you're publicly abusing the authority, then the authority is going to come after you. It's logic. So we put this, I mean, to me, this makes perfect sense when it comes to wisdom. Apply wisdom when it comes to how you're responding and how you're obeying the authority. If you're wise in it, you won't suffer the consequences. And then the last reason to submit comes down to the fact that we know that God placed the authority there and God's in control and God's sovereign and we trust that his rule is a higher rule. If we look at it, it says, no man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man 
to his hurt. I mean, this is an intense passage to think about because the way it's described here and given is we're looking at authorities who are actually have the ability to hurt someone else. So it could be a bad leader, but we know like the president of the United States has the ability to declare war. And anytime that happens, it impacts every single one of us. So it's not something to be taken lightly. When war is declared, that means that we are going in. Lives are at risk. People are going to probably get hurt on both sides. Right? So there's a heavy responsibility there to say, hey, we've got to protect, we've got to do whatever, and here's the decisions that we have to make. And this passage of Scripture is reminding us of that. That that, and then there's also the individuals who don't take this very well, and we know historically there were leaders who just wanted to hurt people. Who wanted to maybe eradicate people, or whatever it was. You, you pick your time in history. And God says, I'm going to remind you that I'm in control. I'm going to remind you that even their time will come to an end. I'm going to remind you that overall, there's this, as a Christ follower, though you're following an authority, and though it may be painful, and though I've asked you to submit, and though I've asked you to really like, weigh in wisdom what the consequences will be, and how the reward could come, and what that means, go up a step and look at the fact that I do have a plan and my timing is perfect and there is a reason for this. I'm going to give you a quick biblical example because I think it helped me in this process. So I was trying to think, Jesus is walking around, he's talking to his disciples, and there comes a point every once in a while where he tells them flat out, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. And they don't want to believe it. And so we'll just pick one person. It could, be t- it could be anybody, but Peter. Peter doesn't believe it, and then it happens. He doesn't know what to do with it. And he's distraught, and he's upset, and what does he do? He turns and he goes kind of back to the old lifestyle that he was doing before. He's like, I'm going fishing, right? And we have this beautiful moment where Jesus is going to restore him. But there's this lack of understanding he looks at something so horrific that has occurred and his concept what's going on in his mind is this can't be godly because this wasn't isn't what was supposed to happen pick another disciple judas iscariot who clearly wanted jesus to implement kind of political rule and bring israel back to its former glory and was so disappointed by it that he came to a place where he's like, I can't accept that the Lord would do anything else, so I'm actually going to go and kill myself. We do this all the time. Because we want our perspective to be God's perspective. And wisdom would say, that's foolishness. I don't know why the Lord would specifically pick this leader for this time, but we do know in Scripture, because he says that he, he put very specific leaders in at very specific times for his glory. It says in Scripture that he changes the heart of the leaders. He can harden it. He can soften it. He can get them to do whatever he wants for his purposes. And oftentimes, some of those purposes seem to require some pain and some suffering. The purpose of saving mankind through the death of Jesus is horrific. But the benefits of his death are everlasting. So I guess in this component I would say, well Solomon would say, Submit because you don't really know what's about to happen. Like what appears to be bad right now is ultimately going to be used for the glory of Jesus. And it's a mindset change. So one, submit. And there's some reasons why. Two, he says you need to fear God. 
verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. We've talked about this a little bit in Ecclesiastes. He's putting it in a little bit different frame. Um, I think the best example here is to help us understand there are times when we don't fear God and he's going to say the reason we don't is because we do evil and we're not caught. Um, There's potential ramifications for bad decisions and a lack of wisdom in our life. But we also have experienced, everyone in this room has experienced getting away with something you shouldn't have. And what Solomon is saying is that over time, that can build some pride. Have you ever said, I never get caught? You'll keep doing the same things over and over because you're not going to get caught. Or I'm so skilled at doing this thing that is under the table that I shouldn't be doing that I'm never going to get caught anyway. And he says ultimately what ends up happening is you begin to believe that. And that will cause you to go, is God really just? Now let me flip the tables. Some of you, I actually gave an example of this last week. Some of you see people and you're like, they need to get caught. Every time I drive in Boston, (laughs) I'm like, where's the police officer at the stop signs? Right? Because nobody stops in this city. No one. It's like, this is nuts, right? When I run the stop sign, I'm like, I don't want to get caught. I'm looking around. Okay, we're good. When other people run the stop sign, I'm like, where's the police officer? They need to get caught. That's how we function. But and from a humanistic standpoint, the reason that we keep running stop signs is because we're not getting caught. As soon as you get pulled over and get them in a ticket for a stop sign, you will start stopping at stop signs, Right? Now take that to something that's much more like life-threatening than stop signs. Because I don't know what it is that you're doing that maybe you're getting away with or you feel like you are. But what the Lord is reminding us in this section is he's saying you may think you're getting away with it, you may think they're getting away with it, but they're not. This reminded me of Asaph's prayer in Psalm 73. And I don't know if you've ever read that, but you should. Asaph was a pretty wise guy. And he wrote this psalm all about just lamenting over the fact that it seems like evil people are constantly being blessed. Lord, they, they practice like horrible business practices and they're wealthy. They don't pay their taxes and they don't seem to get caught. There's all this stuff. They just, they, and then they flaunt the fact that they're breaking the law. Like, when is this going to stop? And then Asaph's prayer at the end, the end of the psalm is, and then you, Lord, reminded me that the end of their days is horrific. That it's you that judge. In our elder training last, yesterday, I was reminding our elders that there comes a point in the end. So there's two judgments, right? When we die, the first one is separating the sheep and the goats. Do you know Jesus? This is the separation of heaven and hell. The second judgment comes on believers. And it's, okay, you knew Jesus, but what did you do with him? And in that, it says that every one of us will be judged and every wicked deed that we accomplished that wasn't caught, every thought, every, everything that we've ever done will be screamed from the rooftops and we'll experience loss. So we know that even as a Christ follower, everything that you've ever gotten away with, everybody's going to know. That scares me. It should scare you. Right? I mean, we're gonna, things are going to come out that I've forgotten I did. 
And in that moment, it says that we'll experience, you know, a little bit of pain. We know the end. We know that Jesus comes back with his robe dipped in blood. We know that it's God who judges. Don't, don't place your fear of God aside because he doesn't feel like he's responding the way that you want him to respond right now. And I think that's the wisdom statement from Solomon here. Don't, don't buy into that. Don't look at the wicked in jealousy thinking that they're getting away with it because they're not. And the very last one he says is my favorite. He says, be joyful. Submit. Fear the Lord. Be joyful. I like joy. I, I, I'm li- I like that Solomon actually puts this in here as a sign of wisdom. Verse 15, and I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. You are not created to live a miserable life. You are not created to be cranky all the time, (laughs) to complain all the time, to lament life consistently. You were created to live in the joy of Jesus. So I think what's so cool about putting this at the end is the few things that he's asking us to do at the beginning feel almost negative, but then he, he surrounds it in this umbrella of saying everything that you're doing in that needs to be filled with joy. And, if, and what's fascinating is this is, it's a command. It's you will be joyful. What is our joy grounded in? The gospel. I think it's fascinating that Solomon wrote this without light of the gospel, right? We know that. I mean, he had maybe some foresight. He knew there was a promised Messiah that was coming. He probably didn't fully grasp it all. But we look at these instructions and this ability to be wise when it comes to authorities in light of what Jesus has done and continues to do. Meaning, if you know Jesus, every single day is new for you. If you know Jesus, every breath you take is a gift. If you know Jesus, when you die, you will be with him. So, when you process all of this with that, it becomes this overarching motivation to go, man, even if I have to submit and I'm not really happy about that, I still have Jesus. Now, I think the other reason that this is so valuable for us is because the church is so bad at it. Um, Anger, lament, frustration, constant complaining is attractive to no one. Right? Like, I don't wait, I've ne- I don't think I've ever woken up in the morning and been, who is my most frustrating friend? Like, who's the person that irritates and complains and is angry all the time? I'm going to hang out with them today. Like, we don't do that. We, there's, there's something contagious about people who know Jesus and place their faith and hope in him and experience the joy of Jesus even in moments when it's hard. That's what's contagious. Those are the people that you want to learn from. Those are the people that you want to be around. You're going, man, we're, we're all living in the same country and I don't like it and you don't like it and I don't like what's going on and, and you're struggling with what's going on, but man, you seem to have much more joy than I do. Like, your whole life isn't being revolved around this specific decision. How is that possible? And then we say, because of Jesus. Because that specific decision is so minor in comparison to the eternity of Jesus. In fact, some of the joy might have to come from saying, I don't understand this, God, but I don't have to understand this. 
You're sovereign. You're in control. Your timing's perfect. I trust you with everything, and I am just going to sit in the light of the joy of the gospel. <laughs> right? I love this ending. Because as hard as this book of Ecclesiastes has been, it's a constant reminder that if we're going to have strength in this world, it's going to come from the joy of Jesus. If you're going to be able to do this, doing all of these things in wisdom without joy impacts you negatively. Because now it's out of duty and pain and suffering instead of, wow, I get to because of who Jesus is. I'll end with this. Like, doesn't it make a difference to you that Jesus went to the cross in joy? Like, it would really, I would have a hard time if Jesus was on the cross going, I can't believe I have to do this for you people. You guys have screwed this up so bad. Do you see what I have to do? Do you see what you've put me through? That nail right there. Th- Father, why? Why do I have to do this? Why am I suffering for people that rebelled against me? That's not what he did. Scripture tells us that it was for the joy of Christ that he went to the cross. That changes everything for me. It changes the motivation. It changes the way that I see him. He joyfully went and took my sin upon him and the consequences of that sin? That's phenomenal. And then he says, that joy that I experienced through the most horrific thing that could ever happen can be yours, and you'll never go anything through like that. I told you, wisdom is the ability to apply what you know. The scriptures say, when it comes to authority figures, it's hard. Reminder, you're an authority over someone. You have authority over you. And he says, I'm asking you to submit. I'm asking you to fear the Lord and trust him. And I'm asking you to do it with joy, just like Jesus did. And we know that the fruit of wisdom is peace and the ability to love and the ability to express truth in love, the ability to become more like Christ. Imagine, imagine a church that did this. What would that look like? Like, pick one of them. I don't know which one you struggle with. That's probably one of the questions that you need to wrestle with. Whether it's the submission of God to to God, the fear of God, or joy. Maybe it's all three, and we need to be praying that the Lord will allow us opportunities to be wise in how we respond. But which one is it? For those of you who are here today, and this is so countercultural to you, And maybe this isn't even what you've experienced in Christianity because of what I talked about at the beginning of this. That the scriptures actually say we're to submit to authority instead of make it everything. That the scriptures say that we're supposed to be joy-filled even in suffering and hardship because of Jesus. I love you enough to tell you this. Without Jesus, you can't do this. You have to know Jesus first. And if that's you, like Pastor Matt brought it up earlier, like you, you need to talk to somebody, ask some questions. I mean, you can turn to the person next to you and say, do you know Jesus? And they say, yes. Say, can we sit down for some coffee? You need to know Christ. You need to know him crucified. You need to know him resurrected. For the church, I would just encourage you, this stuff's challenging. It's hard. But it's stuff we have to do. It's, it's stuff that doesn't just impact the world around us, but it impacts you personally. Because how you respond to authority, Solomon would say, really does show what you believe. 
It shows whether you're willing to submit to the Lord, whether you fear him, and if you truly do find joy in the gospel. So what needs to change? The band's going to come up. We're going to sing a song, and we're going to give you some time just to process. Think through. I'd encourage you to pray through. Like, think about your week. Think about how you've handled authority figures. Think about how you've handled your authority. Are you an authority figure that displays submission and fear of God and joy, or are you not? How does this apply? Let me pray. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for the opportunity we have to be here. Lord, these, these are hard, and I can't do it justice. I, I so Lord, would you um, take what needs to be heard that's from you and apply it to us in a very real and wise way. And whatever's of me, Lord, I pray would just be eliminated completely. Because all we desire is for your word to penetrate our heart. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. I pray if there's anyone in this room right now who has not given their life to Christ, that you would regenerate their heart at this moment. Lord, their heart of stone would be given into a heart of flesh. And Lord, we pray that your church, that your church would really take this to heart, Lord. That we as Christ followers would understand what needs to be done. That we would submit to you in every way. That we would fear you in every way. And Lord, that the joy of the gospel would be radiating from us in a way that's absolutely contagious. We thank you for not leaving us the way that you found us. Continue to grow your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.